The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Welcome to Astros Baseball, a podcast by a fan. For the fans of the Houston Astros, here is your host, Rob Fontenot. Hey guys, thanks for tuning in to this episode of Astros Baseball brought to you by RamShirts.com, the company that brought you Crush City Tees. Ram Shirts offers custom printed and embroidered apparel. They offer direct-to-garment printing for small runs and screen printing for larger runs. Follow on Twitter and Instagram at RamShirts. Visit RamShirts.com for all your custom apparel needs and now listeners of the podcast can enter uh promo code baseball and you will get 25 percent off your order all right so today i'm pretty excited about my guest uh his name is peter karasotis peter welcome to the show thank you rob thank you for having me uh peter is the author of the book aloo my baseball journey, and as you all know as Astro fans, he's the father of Moise Zalou, uh, who actually played for our Houston Astros. And Peter, there was some some big news today regarding Felipe Alou, right? Yeah, Felipe was named, uh, got a Lifetime Achievement Award uh, that Baseball America does every year. It's called the Tony Gwynn Award. And... It's a pretty prestigious thing. Obviously, Baseball America is one of the Bibles for baseball fans nowadays. Uh, it used to be the sporting news, but more so now Baseball America. So it honors Felipe for uh, so many different things, his career in baseball. He's the first born and raised Dominican to come to this country, the United States, and become a major league player. The first Dominican to play in the World Series the first Dominican to become a major league manager. And he's been working in the front office uh, for the San Francisco Giants since his managerial career ended. He won four championships managing in the Dominican Winter League, two championships managing in the Venezuelan League. Obviously, you mentioned Moises, his son. Now another son, Jose Rojas, is the manager of the New York Mets. You mentioned the Astros. Jesus Alou played for the Astros his brother, uh, and then his uh, youngest brother, Matty Alou, was a major league player. Uh, one of his sons runs a, the Orioles uh, Academy down in the Dominican. He's got another son who's a scout. So it's quite a baseball family. Mel Rojas Jr. is his nephew. So, um, so a lot going on there in the Alou family. And he's the patriarch. And he's sort of the one who paved the way for the Dominican Republic. Uh, a lot of people know that Ozzy Virgil Sr., was the first guy born in the Dominican to become a major league player. But Ozzie Virgil is not Dominican. His family was kind of migrating through the Caribbean. They were from Turks and Caicos, and then they were in uh, the Dominican where Ozzie was born, and then they moved to the States, and he grew up mostly in the Bronx. So Felipe is the one that's looked at as not only the patriarch of the Alou Rojas family, but kind of the first guy that they knew from the Dominican Republic that made it to the major leagues and then paved the way for all the other great Dominican players. And now the Dominican Republic produces more major league players in any other country other than the United States, and obviously per capita more than any other country. So uh, quite a legacy for him, and he was honored today by Baseball America for his lifetime contributions to the game of baseball. His name is Felipe Rojas Alou, right? And Felipe, Felipe, Felipe Rojas Alou, right? And I guess, I guess it's kind of like 
in Mexico because I had a friend that was like this. His name was Ricardo Guzman, which was his dad's last name, and his mom's name was Martinez. So they did something right. They uh, they used a Lou, and they should have used Rojas, so it could have been a completely different title of your book. <laughs> well, that's how the book starts. Um, baseball took my name away from me, but it gave me so much more. We start the book that way because when he came to this country to play baseball uh, in 1956, he didn't know any English, and the Latino way of of family names is his father's name was Rojas. I got his. I get all his sons mixed up. Luis Rojas, by the way, is the one who is the Mets manager. And I'll, I'll explain why his name is Rojas, although he's a direct son of Felipe Alou. So when Felipe came to this country, the Latino, the Hispanic way of, of family names is, his name is Felipe Rojas, and then they put the mother's maiden name at the end. Mm -hmm. So it's Felipe Rojas Alou, but the real surname is Rojas. So... When he came to this country and they saw the paperwork, the New York Giants at the time, and they had assigned him to the Evangeline League in Louisiana, they obviously thought his last name was Alou. So they put it on his jersey. He didn't know how to correct it. He didn't know English. So ever <laughs> since then, his name is Felipe Alou. Uh, so that's how the book starts. You know, baseball took my name away from me, but obviously it has given him so much more. Now, uh, 10 children... One passed away tragically, and there's a story in the book about how one of his sons uh, died and uh, really ties in with Moises Alou. Uh, Moises revered his older brother, and um, so there's some really moving narrative in the book about uh, what happened to his oldest firstborn son and how Moises reacted to it. But the way it works is Moises was born in Atlanta. So all his children who were born here stateside, their last name, their surname is Alou. Any of the children who were born in the Dominican, where he also has a home, he has a home in South Florida and another home in the Dominican, the children like his son Luis, if they're born in the Dominican, their last name is Rojas. So that's why some of his children are Rojas, some of them are Alou. So before we dive into the book a little bit more, uh, why don't you tell us about yourself? Well, I was a career sports writer, mostly a columnist. I did work in Texas uh, for a little while at the Dallas Times-Herald, the now defunct Dallas Times-Herald. And uh, I worked in Los Angeles for a number of years. Uh, and then my home state is Florida. And eventually I moved back here and was a columnist in the Gannett chain for most of my career. And as you can imagine, in Texas and in Florida, football's king. So mostly, mostly covered football. As a beat writer, I covered the Los Angeles Rams, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, and the Miami Dolphins, and the Florida Gators. Never got to cover a major league team, a baseball team, as a beat writer, but covered a lot of baseball. Covered Moises Alou's career when he was with the Marlins uh, as a columnist. So... Um, uh, as we all know, the, <laughs> the newspaper industry is is shrinking and shrinking. And uh, so at some point when I was laid off about nine years ago now, I decided I wanted to segue into uh, some different things. So I've freelanced a lot for the New York Times. I do magazine pieces and I've done a handful of books now. I've got one that just came out last month about um, with the former Dallas Mavericks head coach, uh, Richie Adubato. Uh, that book just came out. He also was the head coach of the Magic and also in the WNBA and the Detroit Pistons as well in the NBA. Great book, a lot of great stories. But the Felipe, the book I did with Felipe Alou is uh, really a highlight for me for my career because it, he's such a he's such an intriguing, interesting, and worthy subject of an autobiography. And we've become close friends, and uh, I cherish our friendship and. And uh, the book has got over 100 five-star reviews on Amazon. So a lot of other people are enjoying this book as well. Yeah, that's how I came across you. I saw a video about your book. Uh, another sports writer that I followed was heaping praise on your book. And that's, that's why I got a hold of you so I could talk about it. 
Um, so how did you get involved in working on this book? A number of years ago, where I mostly grew up in Florida, is a town called Merritt Island. It's on the East Coast. It's actually where Kennedy Space Center is, is on the northern part of Merritt Island. And when I was a kid and we had moved here from New York, I was very despondent because we used to go to Yankee and Met games and now we're moving to what to me as an eight-year-old kid was Siberia. You know, there were no pro teams when we moved to Florida in 1966. I don't think the Dolphins were even here. And my dad took me to, um, to games, spring training games in Cocoa, Florida. And ironically enough, because you have an Astros podcast, the minor, the, the minor league and the major league spring training team was the Astros. And I must have gotten Jesus to lose autograph a gazillion times when I was a kid and he was an Astros player. And all those great Astro players, Bob Aspermani and Dennis Mankey. And uh, the first time I went there as, a, as an eight-year-old kid, there were three Astro players. Uh, and we could just walk up to the clubhouse practically. It was just very casual. And I walked up and I got three autographs. And they were Jimmy Wynn, Sonny Jackson, and Joe Morgan. And I still have that little program with their autographs on it. So be that as it may, when I became a columnist in this area for Florida Today newspaper, which is a Gannett paper, when spring training would come around, I would always look for some kind of tie-in column. And by now, in our county, uh, Vieira was the spring training site for the Marlins and later the Nationals. And one, you know, I'm searching media guides and looking for some kind of local connection. And I noticed when Felipe was managing the Montreal Expos that he had started his minor league career in Cocoa, Florida. Okay, so I go up to him before the spring training game, introduce myself and ask him if he remembers anything about, you know, 1956 when he was here as a minor league player in the Giants system playing at an old stadium called Provost Park. And Rob, he remembered everything. He remember. I mean, he led the Florida State League in batting that year with a 380 average. Obviously, he would remember that. But he had detailed stories, interesting stories. And he told me, you know, I didn't start my career actually in Cocoa. I started it in Louisiana and uh, Lake Charles. They wouldn't let me play. They actually passed the law that blacks couldn't be in the same workplace with whites. He got like six, seven, eight, nine at bats. They, they finally shipped him on a Greyhound bus to Cocoa, and uh, he told me he wanted to be a doctor. He was actually going to the university in Santo Domingo to become a medical doctor. I mean, this guy has got a brilliant mind. He's very intelligent. And he said, when that happened, I just wanted to stay on the bus, and I knew the last stop was Miami. I just wanted to go all the way to Miami and get a flight and go back home and go back to school and become a doctor. And he wanted to help his people. He wanted to become a doctor that, a pediatrician mostly that worked with children. But he had signed a contract, literally signed a contract to play, to come to America for 200 pesos. When I say literally, I mean literally it covered what his father owed the grocer for food. So he was the oldest of all his siblings. I think if I remember correctly, six siblings grew up sleeping in a on, the, on a dirt floor in a 15 by 15 foot shack. That's how poor they were. So he decides, you know, I got to get off this bus in Cocoa, Florida. Sleeps on a park bench in the middle of the night. It connects with the team. That year he leads to the Florida State League in batting, stolen bases. And two years later, this guy that never played organized baseball, did not grow up playing organized baseball, is in the outfield with Willie Mays. So... At that point, I'm thinking, this guy would make a great book. <laughs> so I always had that in the back of my mind. And when I got laid off, uh, I believe it was 2011 when I got laid off, I was supposed to go to Miami to cover some Marlins-Giants games because the Giants manager, Bruce Bochy, is, is from the same county here. So I had gotten laid off, and I figured, oh, let me just go down there anyway and you know, catch up with the guys. You know, there were some different guys going down there because, you know, Bruce is our friend. And I'm sitting in um, Bruce's office before the game. And uh, he's very upset because I'm his homeboy. And uh, he said, what are you going to do? And I said, Bruce, I've been kind of preparing for this. I figured it was going to come. I knew 
I knew I was in that line. I just didn't know where in line I was, but people are getting laid off right and left. And I found out yesterday I was at the front of the line. I said, I don't know what I'm going to do, but I've been thinking about it. I, I do think I want to try to write some books. And I've always thought that Philippe Alou would be a good book. He kind of stares at me and he goes, you know, he's here today. And I said, he's here today. And he said, yeah, he's here. He, he works for the Giants in the front office. He lives here in South Florida. You want me to talk to him? I said, sure. <laughs> Literally about 15 minutes before the game, I get a text message from Bruce. Talk to Felipe. He, he's interested in doing a book. And that started, a, I would say, a two, three, four-year process of him saying he'll do it, and then he didn't want to do it. He'll do it, didn't want to do it. And then finally... I think it was after the Giants won their second or third World Series. I was talking to Bruce in the offseason. He asked me how the book was coming along. I said, it's not. I said, I've kind of given up. He said, why? And I told him. He said, no, no, let me, let me talk to him. A couple of days later, I get a call from Felipe, and he goes, uh, I'm going to do the book. He goes, my family wants me to do it. And uh, Bruce talked to me, and he spoke up for you. And he goes, um, I'm not going to back out this time. We're, we, we're going to do this book. So... Um, so I, I drove down to his house. He lives about three hours from me. He lives in South Florida in Boynton Beach. And um, he's got a little office there. You would not know he was a former major league player or manager. I mean, there's some things in his office, obviously, and only in his office. If you walk around the house, you see nothing that screams baseball. But he's got some awards in there, manager of the year, and some artwork and, and different things. And he's got a desk, and I was sitting across from him, and we got to talking. And I knew enough uh, from just interacting with him a little bit a um, couple of times after that face-to-face, -face, you know, after that first time I met him in spring training. I uh, did another column the following year, you know, talked to him, talked to him once in Bochy's office in San Francisco. And, you know, very distinguished, proud, and I don't mean proud in an arrogant way, but just, just a, a, he's got a stature, he's got a gravitas about him. And I knew I had to develop a relationship with this man. So that first time we sat down, I, I didn't take out a notebook. I didn't take out a recorder. I, we were just going to have a conversation. And at one point, we're talking about the three brothers because historically, uh, it's the only time that three brothers have played in the same outfield together. Uh, they did it more than once with the Giants. Felipe, Jesus, and Maddie. Obviously, all three of them had long and distinguished major league careers. Maddie led the league in batting. One year, Maddie led the league in batting, and Felipe finished number two. I mean, if you can imagine that happening today, two brothers fin fin finishing one and two in the batting race. So um, I asked him, I said, you know, everybody knows about the three brothers. Was there ever any other brother? And he looked across his desk at me, and then he reached into his wallet. He took out a card, and he kind of slapped it on the table. And he said, you see this card? He says, in my country, you have to carry this card all the time. This is your ID card, not your driver's license, this card. And then he proceeds to tell me the story about the fourth Alu brother, Juan Alu and how he might have been the best of all four brothers, a corner infielder with power who could hit for average like Maddie did, but also with power like Jesus and Felipe. And not to spoil it if people get the book, but it's an unbelievable story about this fourth Alou brother who got caught up in the revolution in the Dominican Republic when their dictator, Rafael Trujillo, was assassinated. And so there, this book has several layers. It's, it's obviously a baseball book. He played with Willie Mays. Marichal was a close friend of his. In fact, his sisters introduced Juan Marichal to his wife. Uh, the brothers, he played for, um, he, he roomed with Willie McCovey in the minor leagues, was a dear friend of Willie, spoke at his funeral, uh, played with uh, Hank Aaron. Uh, so there's a lot of great baseball stories. There's also the part of the book that talks about how uh, uh, Gary Thorne and others, Gary Thorne being the Baltimore Orioles announcer, uh, say that this is the first time we've gotten 
the Jackie Robinson story from a Latino's point of view, what it was like for pioneers like Felipe Clemente, Roberto Clemente was such a close friend of his, we devoted a whole chapter with untold stories about Roberto Clemente, how these men encountered double racism, not just from white America, but from black America too. You know, they could go to black hotels when they were traveling, black restaurants, but there was a second class stature that they had that was, that was covert and overt. <laughs> Uh, you can come and eat at our restaurants, you can come and stay at our motels, but don't be dating our, our women. And so, you know, Black America looked down on them as well. So there's that part of the book. And, and I know when we were working on it, he, he mentioned some Hall of Fame Black players that um, clearly he felt were racist against the Latino Blacks, which should not be shocking. It still exists today. Hmm. And... Um, so, you know, he didn't want to put that in the book, but there's that story of of what it took for a Latino to pave the way for other Latinos to come to this country and make such an impact on Major League Baseball and the sport now. And then the other part is the Dominican Republic. You'll learn from this book um, how the Dominican has become such a such a fertile ground for major league players and why it produces more major league players now than any other country, more than Puerto Rico and any other country outside of the United States. Uh, how Felipe was very instrumental in all the academies that now is it exist in the Dominican Republic. Just about, I think, every major league team and also Japan, they all have academies now in the Dominican, where if you're a prospect, 16 years old, like Gary Sanchez, the catcher with the Yankees, they get signed, then they go to an academy, and they're there to learn and get a high school diploma, but also to play baseball. Um, that that started with, with Felipe Alou and, and a couple of other Dominican players. So there's that part of it uh, in the book as well. And also, you know, they grew up under what was like the Hitler of the Caribbean, Rafael Trujillo. Uh, tens of thousands of people disappeared under his regime. Uh, there's some harrowing stories about, you know, escaped prisoners, one of them coming into their house, their little shack in the middle of the night when his dad was off on a several-day trip working, trying to provide food for a family, and this escaped prisoner comes into their house. And, you know, the genocide that, was existing with Haiti, with the Dominican Republic. And so there's a lot of layers to this book, the history, and it's not a history book, but you know, some of the history of the Dominican that helps you to appreciate what players from that country come from. Also the family history. And then, as I mentioned, great baseball stories, including an entire chapter on Roberto Clemente. So, um, so we started working on the book after that conversation uh, when he he said, you know, this is why I didn't want to write the book. And when he showed me his ID card and he told me a story about what happened with his brother, Juan Alou. And, um, and that story was a story that was very painful for him to talk about and painful for other families to perhaps read about. And that was the main reason why he did not want to do the book was mm -hmm. because of what happened with his youngest brother. Uh, but we we got it in the book. The story's in there, and it adds context uh, to his life and and also what a lot of Dominicans were going through during in the early '60s under that brutal regime. Yeah, with the the title, my baseball journey. You know, stories like you just brought up. I, I wouldn't even expect that to be in there, but it sounds like an amazing story. Uh, there, there was one thing that I read about him. Uh, he was a track star. Correct. I don't know if I'm correct about this, but he was a track star, and he switched to baseball somehow. And he was yeah. in the he was in the Pan American Games, and I found this amazing. He was in the Pan American Games in 1955. Played his first professional baseball game in 56 and he was in the major leagues in 58 <laughs> that is very quick 
Yeah, yeah. So obviously, tremendous athletic ability. And he, he was the oldest. Uh, Maddie, I believe, is the only one who's passed. Uh, other siblings have become engineers, veterinarians. I mean, to think that this was produced out of a 15 by 15 foot shack. Uh, uh, Jesus runs the academy for the Red Sox down there in the Dominican. Uh, he's got a daughter who's an attorney. It's, an, it's just a brilliant family in a lot of ways, but athletically is what we know them for. Mm-hmm. So he, he, he played rudimentary baseball growing up. Uh, his dad was a carpenter, and you know he'd fashion a, a bat for them. Uh, they'd get limes and fruit and coconuts and whatever and play like that, baseball. And they would listen to the radio and, and get broadcasts from Cuba. And he followed baseball. He actually had some Dodger baseball cards when he was a kid. Mm-hmm. But there was never any hope of playing in the major leagues. When he was a boy, Jackie Robinson had not even broken the color barrier. So um, his mom had a brother who worked in the military. And dictators, so obviously, if you're in the military, your prime responsibility is protecting the dictator. So dictators, smart dictators, paid their military well, especially their higher-ranking officers. So he had an uncle who had a little bit of money. And uh, he always wanted to be a doctor, and so he was sort of the the shining light for the family. He was going to be the first one to go to a university there in Santo Domingo, get an education, and become a doctor. So one day he's over there at the university, and he's walking by uh, the track and field, I don't even think it was a stadium, it was just where they ran track, and there was a javelin laying over where he was walking, and they say, hey, you know, throw the, throw the javelin back. So, you know, he picked it up, threw it back, and it like whizzed over their heads, I guess, like, <laughs> uh, you know, and, and then the coach comes over to him and says, have you ever done this before? Um, so he started throwing the javelin, and obviously he was very fast, but primarily he was a javelin thrower. And for a number of years, he held the national record for the javelin. Well, he makes the Pan Am Games as a, as a track and field athlete to, to throw the javelin. And I believe they were down in Mexico City. It's been a, you know, I'm, I wrote the book, but I'm trying to remember some of the interesting That sounds details. familiar. That sounds familiar. So, um, Mexico City, and one of the baseball players had been sent home for insubordination. So they came to Felipe and they said, we need you more on the baseball team. It's a more of a high-profile sport in the Pan American Games. So we're going to take you off the track and field and we're, we want you to play on the baseball team. And they knew he could play. So um, he led them to the gold medal. And it was the first time the Dominican won the gold medal in the Pan Am Games. Well, there were scouts there, but mostly they were scouting Puerto Rican and Cuban players. But one of the scouts was working for the Giants and was actually, I believe, either the athletic director or the baseball coach at the University of Santo Domingo. Legendary scout, and he came to the house and talked to his parents and said he wanted to sign Felipe to play professionally, and he was offering 200 pesos. And his parents were adamant, vehement, that he was not going to be leaving school to go play this game. And so the scout left, and then a couple of weeks later, he came back with several of his teammates and said, your son is really good. <laughs> He's got ability. He, could, he might be able to make it. Um, we want to sign him, and we're offering 200 pesos. And Felipe knew his dad was struggling to feed his siblings, his family. And he said, I signed so that my dad could feed my brothers and sisters. And that's when he got sent to the Evangeline League in Louisiana, and they wouldn't let him play. And so hence back to the story when the Giants put him on a bus to send him to Florida where he could at least start playing. And he just wanted to go back home and go back to school. But he had signed a contract. He was a man of honor, <laughs> dignity. He said, I, I, I had to get off the bus in Coco. I had given my word, and my family name was was uh, on the line. And that's when he got off a Greyhound bus in the middle of the night with the bus driver the whole way 
telling him to go sit in the back of the bus. And he was afraid he was going to miss his stop, so he kept sitting behind the bus driver. And every stop, he'd say, Coco, Coco, uh, you know, like, is this Coco? And then finally, in the middle of the night, he gets off a Greyhound bus in a little town called Coco, Florida, hmm. and sleeps on a park bench, gets up in the morning. Somebody sees, you know, tries to talk to him, figures out he's a baseball player, drives him to a, a couple of other Latino players that played for the Coco at Astros, or no, it's the Coco Giants, and um, starts his career. And as you mentioned, as I mentioned, from that point of sleeping on a park bench, two years later, he's in the outfield with Willie Mays on one of, on the inaugural Giants team in San Francisco. Hmm. So, and he was on the inaugural Braves team in Atlanta, hit the first home run in Atlanta Braves history, and the guy who hit the last home run was Moises Alou. Wow. So you said he was in the outfield with his two brothers. Um, did, did they just have him and they're like, wow, you're pretty good. And you have any brothers? And they just went back and got his brothers. Is that how it works? So um, from there, because, because of his talent, uh, then there was some interest in his, his brothers. Jesus came up as a pitcher. And he was not making it as a pitcher in the minor leagues. And he just announced, I'm not pitching anymore. I'm going to play the field and I'm going to hit. <laughs> and he became a major league player as a first baseman and outfielder and as a, as a hitter. And then uh, Matty was the youngest, other than the fourth brother that I've told you about. Uh, Matty was the youngest of the three. So obviously then a lot of interest in Matty, especially from the Giants. And then they signed him. And at one point, they were all on the major league roster. Uh, I think it was Felipe who started the game. And then in the game, I think Jesus came in as either a pinch hitter or a defensive replacement. And then uh, Willie Mays. Willie was the only guy that Felipe sent me down to talk to and talk with at spring training. And Willie said that when he saw both brothers in the outfield, he came in. And I think the manager was Herman Franks. He told him, put the other brother in. Take me out and put the other brother in. Let them, let them make history. And so the, all three of them played in the outfield. Um, but, yeah, it was obviously his talent led them to look at the other brothers. And then eventually all three of them became Major League Baseball players. He played 17 seasons, uh, Major League Baseball, All-Star, and then uh, he turned to managing. He wanted to be a manager, so he turned to managing. Uh, I guess he managed in the minor leagues in 1977, or it was another country or somewhere, right? 1977. And it took him in, all the way until 1992, which is a, a very long time, it seems like. I can't do the math real, real quick, but 1992, he got hired by the Expos. Did you cover a lot about his managerial years as well? Yeah, he, um, after his baseball career ended, uh, he was, he was getting into coaching and the Expos organization and, uh, Moise's older brother. And I mentioned earlier died tragically and it's in the book, the story of it. And, it, it rocked Felipe, and for a year or two, he kind of lost his way. And he got into broadcasting a little bit, um, actually interviewed once Muhammad Ali, mm -hmm. and uh, got into broadcasting, and he knew that was in his shtick. And he went back to the Expos to, to get a job, and, and they hired him for a minor league manager. Ralph Houck, the manager of the Yankees, recognized his leadership qualities, his tremendous baseball IQ, and told him when he was a player, when he played for the Yankees, you got what it takes to be a manager. Well, we know that it took a while for Frank Robinson to become the first black to manage in the major league, major leagues. Mm -hmm. Second-class citizens, Latino blacks. <laughs> Are these guys equipped to manage in the major leagues? Uh, what about their English, all of this? 
So he had a tremendous career in the minor leagues, developed Hall of Fame players uh, like Vladimir Guerrero. Uh, he discovered Andres Galarraga in Venezuela when he was uh, managing in Venezuela and convinced the Expos to sign him. So he, he was known for uh, taking ver very little talent and making the most out of it and developing players. And so every once in a while, the Expos were putting him on their major league coaching staff, but he eventually would ask them, put me back as a manager in the minor leagues. That's where my passion is, managing. Well, nobody was giving him a chance to ever manage in the major leagues. You know, Latinos weren't getting those jobs. And in 1992, he was back on the major league roster in Montreal. And third of the way or whatever during the season, they fired, I think it was Tom Runnels. And they came to Felipe and they said, we want to name you the manager. And that's when his managerial career started. And of course, two years later, he had the Expos with the best record in baseball. Uh, they were clearly the best team in baseball. And they were streaking towards the end of the season. And that's when the strike hit and wiped out the World Series. And then when the strike ended, spring of 1995, the Expos sold and traded all their great players, you know, John Wetland went to the Yankees and so many others. Mm -hmm. And, and so they never had an opportunity to, to, to show that they could have won the world series. And, um, yet, you know, he stayed in Montreal for a number of years and then he managed the, uh, he's the winningest manager in Montreal Expos history and then managed the giants for four years. And, and my, you know, he was 57 years old when he became a major league manager, 57. Now, I think Joe Torrey, who was his roommate with the Braves, began managing at 37. Mm. Uh, his son, Luis Rojas, with the manager, I believe is 38. So what Felipe did to pave the way for Latinos, uh, that's why his son could be named manager of the, of the New York Mets at 37, 38 years old. But I had, I had lunch last year with... Um, uh, my friend Bruce Bochy and Tony LaRussa and um, uh, Dave Dombrowski, who at the time was the GM of the Boston Red Sox. And uh, we, we got to talking that day. So, you know, you got major league managers, Felipe, Bruce Bochy and LaRussa and myself and a friend of mine, Gordon Eads, who was a sports writer and Dombrowski. And I told Tony LaRussa, I said, you know, if Felipe had gotten a chance to manage at the same time that Joe Torre did and had 20 more years of managing, I said, and he just had a, a modest career, wins and losses. I'd say he'd be top five all time in wins as a manager. And LaRusso's top five. I said, he'd be right there with you. And Tony, and the reason why I was telling Tony this is, Tony is an advocate that Felipe belongs in the Hall of Fame. And I said, not only did he not get a chance to manage until he was 57 because of being black and Latino, but because of that 94 strike and the, and the Expos being broken up after the strike ended, he never got a chance to see what he could have done with that team. And they had Hall of Famers. They were loaded. And these were players he developed in the minor leagues. So everything, it was, it was the perfect storm. And then it got blown apart had he had a chance to continue managing that elite team, the Expos might've been the multiple world series champions of the nineties instead of Joe Torre's Yankees. Cause they were loaded. And, uh, and Felipe would obviously be in the hall of fame now. Uh, so there's, there's a movement and there has been a movement to look at hall of fame consideration holistically. Um, we've, we've done that with black players like Buck O'Neill and Satchel Paige and others, uh, retroactively said, you know, they didn't have major league careers because of segregation. We're putting mm -hmm. them in the hall of fame. Well, what about the segregation that hurt people like Felipe who didn't get a chance to manage until he was almost 60 years old? Uh, he had a similar playing career stat wise as Joe Torrey, all time winning as manager in Expos history. Uh, the first born and raised Latino to become a major league player and a major league manager uh, and what he's done internationally, winning championships in the Dominican and Venezuela, front office, 
why isn't this guy in the Hall of Fame? What holds him back? What more credential-wise should we be looking at with Felipe Alou to say that he belongs in the Hall of Fame? So there is a little bit of a movement uh, to recognize him, and I hope that day comes because, you know, he's, he's going to be um, next spring. Let me see, he's born in 1935. You know, he's going to be 86 years old. <laughs> How much time does he have left? So would you say he deserves to be in the Hall of Fame for being a player or a manager or just because of his overall career and the things that he's done? I, th I think he was, a, he was a borderline as a player, you know, over 2,000 hits, not Hall of Fame worthy as a player, not Hall of Fame worthy as a, as a manager. But you put the two together, and it's very impressive. But then you add the, the trailblazing aspect of it, the pioneering aspect of it. And when you read the book, you, you, you see the racism that he encountered Rob, even in, uh, on his own team in the minor leagues, his own teammates were tipping off opposing pitchers uh, as to how to pitch to him because these white guys were racist and they didn't want to see him succeed. So, you know, those types of stories when your own teammates are plotting against you mm. and, and he's persevering through all of that, through all of that, uh, to pave the way for the Dominican Republic uh, you know, I've been to the Dominican, and you go to some tourist areas, and they've got, you know, you know what Pedro Martinez told me? He said, you don't understand. In my country, when I'm a boy, and I'm growing up in the Dominican, and I'm studying Dominican history, we study Felipe Alou in class, because hmm. he is a hero to us. He is the guy who showed us that you can come from this country and make it in the major leagues. And you go to tourist areas, and they have pictures of him up in tourist areas as a pioneer, as somebody that's revered. The San Francisco Giants a couple of years ago built a state-of-the-art baseball academy in the Dominican and named it the Felipe Alou Baseball Academy. So I think it's time that we recognize Latino pioneers beyond just Okay, Roberto Clemente, 3,000 hits. He's a Hall of Famer. Juan Marichal, you know, his stats, Hall of Famer. But what about the guy who paved the way for Juan Marichal? What about the guy who showed the Dominicans that you can make it in, in Major League Baseball? And, and similar to Jackie Robinson, endured all the racism because somebody had to do it to, to pave the way so that all these other great Dominicans could come after him. So, yeah, I think holistically, when you look at it and you realize, you know, Dave Dombrowski, uh, was it last year, 2019, I ran into him during spring training. And I knew Dave real well when he was the general manager of the Marlins. And they had just won the World Series with the Red Sox with Alex Cora. And we were sitting there during spring training game. And I said, Dave, I got to ask you this. You know, Alex had not managed before. And Alex, um, you know, Latino, Puerto Rican. And Dave had been the, manager, the general manager with Montreal when Felipe was in the minor league system. Never promoted Felipe to become the manager for the big club, even though he was having all the success in the minor leagues. I said, Dave, because of what happened with Felipe, because he has told people in, in Sports Illustrated articles that his biggest regret, one of his biggest regrets and biggest mistakes was not recognizing Felipe earlier and naming him a manager earlier. And I said, did you think about that when you tapped Alex Cora to become the manager of the Boston Red Sox? He said, without a doubt, no question. I wasn't going to make that same mistake twice. Notwithstanding Alex Cora's black eye now with sign stealing, he is a tremendous manager and they did win a World Series. And, and the reason, one of the reasons why he did not hesitate to hire and name Alex Cora manager of the Boston Red Sox, which historically has a racist background, the reason why he didn't hesitate was he wasn't going to make the same mistake that he made with Felipe Alou. I think that needs to be recognized that, that the Felipe Alou's, the pioneers 
who have paved the way for not only the Dominican, but a lot of Latino people, a lot of Latino players on the field, in the manager's office, and in the front office now, you need to retroactively say, yeah, this guy belongs in the Hall of Fame. He belongs there. Baseball America today just named him the Tony Gwynn Award winner for his lifetime achievement in baseball. It's practically the baseball Bible now. And if they're saying he's getting a lifetime achievement award, then maybe the Hall of Fame should think the same thing as well in Cooperstown. And he's also only the sixth person to get it. So he's got to be pretty important yeah. to, the, to the game of baseball. Uh, do yeah. you get a vote for the Hall of Fame? I do, but that's not... That's, I know that, I know you can't vote for him. I'm just asking. No, no, no. I can't vote for him because he's not on a ballot. That's what I'm saying. I know you can't yeah. vote for him. I'm just asking. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, <laughs> you're right. I Yeah, the, the ballot is players that have been retired for five years and all of that. There's a process. So that goes to a – it used to be called the Veterans Committee. Now it's it's got a different name. But LaRousse has been on that, and um, he badly wants Felipe Alou, and he took a lot of flack for Harold Baines, and we've talked about it. And mm-hmm. he said, you know, I can't, I can't get front, out front with this because, you know, he, he got hammered with Harold Baines. But there's a, there are other people who, who want him in the Hall of Fame, and, and uh, one of them is, is Pedro Martinez, who I do believe is on that committee now. Pedro reveres this man like a father. Guys who played for him, they, they, it's a reverence not just for what he did for players and how he helped them, how he developed them. I know F.P. Santangelo is a broadcaster now, and his Twitter account is a quote from Felipe. But they all talk about how brilliant his baseball IQ is because <laughs> you still talk baseball with him, and it's phenomenal. And what his eyes see that you just like, I, you know, I never would have saw. But players will tell you, guys who played for him will tell you that three months later, if they had played the Cubs, let's say, earlier in the season, now they're playing them again, and somebody was getting ready to go to the plate, he'd pull them aside and he'd say, you know, remember now this relief pitcher, the last time you faced him back in, back in May, you know, he, he got you out with that backdoor cutter. You know, you need to be careful for that if you get... And the guys are looking at him like, how in the heck are you remembering that? He's got, <laughs> Rob, he's got, there's only two guys I've ever covered that can go back decades and, and tell you in detail things that you go and check and they're, they're absolutely on target. And one of them is Steve Spurrier. Um, I, I, you know, I remember doing an article series with him about his Heisman Trophy year 30 years after the fact. And he's saying, yeah, you know, when we played Vandy that third game, you know, in the second quarter, we had a we had a situation where it was, you know, third and 15. And I threw a little out past the so and so. And you go back and get the stat sheet. And it's it's exactly what he just (laughs) told you off the top of his head. Felipe, the same way, the same way his his memory. You know, there were a few things that maybe he was a little off on. But by and large, whatever he told me and I fact checked. I'm, I'm scratching my head saying, how did this man do it? I mean, he would tell me stories. There's one story of when um, Orlando Cepedo, who had a drug issue, you know, he, he spent time in prison. Uh, and he was doing drugs when, when they were both players. And he's telling me one night Orlando was tripping out. And they were, and, and Rob, he's mentioning the city they were in, the hotel's name, the floor they were on. And then he's saying, you know, he's going... <laughs> He's going for the balcony. He's going for, and he goes, and they didn't call him the baby bull for nothing. He said, I was a pretty strong guy, but it took every ounce of my strength to keep him from going to the balcony. He was, he was, he was having some kind of drug, drug episode. So um, that kind of memory, unbelievable. And players will tell you that, um, that his ability to see three, four, chess pieces in advance during a baseball game was uncanny. Buck Showalter did a blurb for this book. And he told me, he says, I don't read these types of books. And I, you know, he said, but for him, he goes, he schooled me when I was in the minor leagues and not just schooled him in that he outmanaged him, but taught him 
techniques and different things about managing in the process. You listen to Buck Showalter do analysis. That guy's brilliant. And if that guy says that Felipe Alou is out managing him in the minor leagues, then you know that that guy got held back until he was 57 years old because he was black and Latino, not because he couldn't manage. La Russa managed against him in the minor leagues. Jimmy Leyland managed against him in the minor leagues. And they will all tell you Felipe was the real deal. That guy should have been managing in the major leagues at least a decade or two earlier, and it didn't happen. So that's why the Hall of Fame needs to say, we need to recognize the racism that occurred with these Latinos and, and start holistically looking at their qualifications for the Hall of Fame. Well, Peter, it sounds like an amazing book. Uh, I want to thank you for coming on. I really enjoyed uh, talking with you tonight. And uh, I hope to talk to you again. I hope we're building a friendship here. I mean, I, I really enjoy talking to you a lot. Thank you. Thank you. I mean, you I appreciate sound, you, you've had an exciting life. You've had <laughs> way more exciting life than I have. <laughs> well, uh, I think I mentioned at the outset that of all the things I did, co-authoring this autobiography with Felipe Lou was, was the highlight. And, um, you know, the book is the book. Uh, I'm not trying to sell books to make money. I want his story to be not only told, but read and recognized. It came out in paperback this year, mm -hmm. and uh, Bruce Bochy wrote a fresh afterward for it that, um, you know, he's going to be in the Hall of Fame. And one of the things he mentions in his afterward is, if I'm going in, this guy needs to go in, too. <laughs> yeah, well, you're getting a lot of buzz on Twitter. And again, I appreciate you coming on. Thanks so much for having me. All right, folks, thanks for tuning in this episode of Astros Baseball. We'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to this episode of Astros Baseball. Make sure to subscribe so that way you will be alerted when there is a new episode. Follow Rob on Twitter at Rob Fontenot. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line. Prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. Bet MGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus and present in Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1 800 Gambler in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, For the ones who get it done.